What does filmed for IMAX mean? It isn't just a movie that'll look great on IMAX's screens. It means that hiding from a sandstorm feels like fear in every flicker. And every triumph is felt in every sound wave. And the things we've only imagined, you can truly experience those too. That's what filmed for IMAX means. Get tickets to Experience Dune Part 2 now and IMAX's exclusive expanded aspect ratio. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. Hello, my beautiful friends. I hope you all are doing absolutely fantastic. I am back at you guys with some very upgraded audio equipment. I am totally ready for this Halloween season. I invested in a very nice mic. I actually found it on Kijiji for an amazing price. Um, I'm already extremely thrilled to be using it. I find it a lot more crisp. I think it'll bring a very lovely experience to your ears. I would love to hear what you guys think. I would also like to say hello to the ton of people who have added me on Snapchat. If you want to do that, it's Selena's Life, C-E-L-I-N-A-S-L-I-F-E. There I get to talk to you guys. I am overly friendly. A bunch of you will know that. I love getting to know you guys, the people who listen all over the world. So much fun stuff coming up tonight. I have a lot of calls, but I think for tonight, our welcome back episode will just be the regular. We're going to talk about some article talk, but we're going to read some articles. See, I'm a little rusty jumping back into this. We're going to talk about an amazing sponsor, um, a crazy, awesome contest coming up. Really fun stuff like that. So tune in, stay around, and don't forget the to visit thehauntedestate.com. It is finally up and running. Um, if you're looking for titles of episodes. I'm going to be posting more there, more blog posts. You can find all old episode links within there. It was down for a while, but I am ready to jump into podcasting full force. Our listening audience has really grown over the last year, and that's something that really excites me. So without any more hesitation, let's jump into this episode. Are you ready to scream? I can personally vouch when saying that Snyder's Fear Farm truly is the best haunt that I have ever been to. As you guys all know, I have went far and wide for every haunt that there is, and nothing has scared me the way that Fear Farm has scared me. It actually really inspired me, and last year was the first year that I worked there. It was a crazy awesome experience. This year, for one low price, there are six horrifying haunts. We have Carnival the Hayride, Hillbilly Hike, Condemned 
Corn, Hiller House, and The Stalking Dead. It was five last year, but there are six haunts this year. It was so popular, and I had the amazing opportunity to work there. I'm going to be there again this year, so if you see a scary lady in a striped dress, you need to come up and say hi. Take some pictures with me. Don't forget to tag the farm. It truly is the best place in the universe. They are located in air. That is outside of Kitchener, Ontario. The address is 936685 Blenheim Road, Air, Ontario. But just head over to fearfarm.ca to buy tickets, find directions. And the cool announcement to tell you guys is that they are sponsoring the podcast this season. So if you upcoming pretty soon if you call in with your story you have a chance to win tickets so if you are in southwestern ontario it is absolutely worth the drive people come from toronto people come from the u.s because it is truly that good and we want to see you out there this season we want to make you scream So don't forget, opening night is September 22nd, this 2017. Be there. It's where all the cool kids are. So I feel like I need to share some news with you guys. Um, It's been a while, but what happened actually happened today. Um, As you know, I've been talking forever about how much I love hearses, and today I kind of took the plunge, and I picked up my own hearse. It is a 1986 Pontiac Parisienne, and I bought it without seeing it. Truth be told, it's so decrepit. Like, the... um, What what are they called? Curtains in the windows are all ripped and stained, but, like, it fits, and it looks awesome. Like, it looks how you want like a creepy hearse to look and I'm just so blown away and so excited and I can't wait to drive it to work to Fear Farm. I am going so all out this season. Everyone who works there, all the real ghosts and goblins that are there work so hard to make an amazing experience and like I said, I've been to every haunt and I have never been to one like like this when I went and I have been going forever and every year it was always the number one on the list. We always left it till, we either did it in the beginning because we were too excited or left it till the end because it was the best. I'm going to tell you right now, the coolest ever, they have Hiller House, that is always going to be my favorite. It is terrifying like to the day like I'm still scared and I've been in there a bunch of times but yeah please come out opening weekend is September 22nd this 2017 it is going to be off the hook off the hook I literally have a countdown on my phone I just want to live there I just love being there (laughs) so um we are totally getting into this episode now I'm going to read you guys some awesome articles we definitely had some a bunch of phone calls from one person so I think I'm gonna make her her own episode we'll just listen to all her stories and dissect them and talk about them and stuff like that so right now let's jump into uh, something spooky duh So I grabbed this article the other day and I found it pretty interesting. Um, I've always followed Ed and Lorraine. Um, Obviously, Ed is gone, but I've spent my life kind of reading about them and learning about them. And and I've had like a quick opportunity to have like a little little talk with Lorraine. It was really quick. But um, I found this article called 10 Times Ed and Lorraine Warren Were Exposed as Total Fraud. So I love looking at things from both sides. That goes um, hand in hand with when you go into paranormal investigations. The one thing that I hate so much about 
I don't want to say hate. That's such a strong word. The issue that I have with a lot of paranormal groups is they go right in, ready to talk to those ghosts when I'm going to be completely honest, 90% of the time, it's something that can be explained away. Um, if you've, if you did pick up my book, which I'm sorry for the spelling and grammar, it's being re-edited. <laughs> um, a lot of the time it is something explainable, like something very explainable. A lot of the time, like not that people fake it, but you do run into a lot of people who just really like the attention that comes along with that. And I'm not talking about anybody in particular, but um, it's very interesting to see it. When I go in, the first thing I do is eliminate every cause that it could be before I even kind of tap into how I feel. Because recently, um, I've met some new people and they're, they're really interested in the kind of thing that I do. And it's hard for me to explain to them how long it's been since I've done it because it's so emotionally draining and, and, and exhausting. And that's why I haven't really dive deep into the paranormal side of thing. And it's also, if you listen to the earlier episodes, why I started this podcast. I love the paranormal world. It's who I am. It's who I will always be. You know, if I didn't see it, I wouldn't believe it myself. That's how much of a skeptic that I am, even though I live with this every day of my life. So in saying that, I found this article pretty interesting. I haven't read it, but I am excited to read it with you guys. So let's jump into it. Paranormal research has steadily gained more mainstream acknowledgement since the 1970s. Following the release of books and films such as The Exorcist and The Amityville Horror, the latter of which was supposedly based on a true story. And while there is a serious science fueling the supernatural exploration, many organizations, such as those featured in the numerous ghost investigator reality shows, groups who are primarily concerned with the entertainment and brand building, compelling them to fabricate evidence in order to get ratings. They give genuine researchers a bad name. Okay, I just want to take a break. I absolutely love that intro. The number one question that I get from absolutely everyone in my personal life, not really my podcast life, is, oh my god, do you watch these ghost shows? And I'm not saying anything bad about ghost adventures or anything that, but I have been in a house that was visited by a reality show, and they told me that they were told to leave the house for the evening and everything they had ever had happen in the house over the 12 years seemed to have happened that evening within the three hours of filming. So that was how they kind of wrapped me up in that and explained that to me. And, and that's something that I found because people expect a show. So when I go to a house and I'm like, here, I'm, I'm here to do this, this reading, like you've been cleared by the people, blah, blah, blah. They're like, oh, this isn't what I expected. I thought doors would be slamming. And it's like, no, like that's not even close to what happens. Okay, back to the article. Perhaps for forebears, this, oh, this is a big word, to this conglomeration, oh, let's just jump that, approach our Ed and Lorraine Warren, self-described demonologists whose names have been attached to some of the most well-known paranormal cases in the latter half of the 20th century. Lorraine claims to be psychic who can communicate with spirits. Since her husband's death in 2006, she has worked as a psychic consultant on various TV shows, and she has maintained the Occult Museum in Connecticut, featuring artifacts from some of their cases. Many people swear they are the real deal. In particular, devout Christians, according to 
Ed Warren, one has to believe in God in order to understand the couple's research. But other writers and skeptics have discovered outright fabrications of their claims. Below are some of the Warrens' most famous cases, and though the debunking they've undergone, let's find out the real stories behind The Conjuring, The Amityville Horror, Annabelle, and more. Note, the intention of this list is not to question the existence of spiritual entities, nor to assert that the families investigated by the Warrens were also frauds in any way. So, knowing the podcast, you know, we we have gone into the depth of a lot of these things, but I'm sure it's just going to be a a quick uh, draw there. Amneville is perhaps the most famous Warren case out there, and thus brings it the most thoroughly investigated. As Stephen King predicted in this book, Dance and Macabre, the Amneville narrative has become kind of a campfire ghost tale. Effective as a spine tingler, but likely fabricated, or at least mostly so. The facts are these. In 1974, the Amneville neighborhood of Long Island, New York, Ronald DeFeo Jr. murdered his entire family in the middle of the night. Later, he claimed he heard voices plotting against him, which motivated his actions. Roughly a year later, the Lutz family, George, Kathy, and their three children, purchased the DeFeo home, including some of the DeFeo furniture, moved in. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish, or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. The Lutzes later claimed that they experienced unexplainable phenomenon, nightmare, and encountered entities of a demonic nature. The public at large became aware of their story following the 1977 release of the book The Amityville Horror by screenwriter turned novelist Jay Anson, and even more so with the film adaption which appeared in theaters two years later. There are countless articles revealing the Lutz haunting as more fiction than fact, including statements made by Ronald DeFeo's lawyer, William Weber, who claims he, Kathy, and George Lutz consumed four bottles of wine one evening and had a creative writing session about what kind of thing could go into writing a horror book. According to ABC News, George and Kathy Lutz always maintained that their experiences were real, and their son Daniel even made a documentary called My Amneville Horror, in which he effectively expands upon the lore. Perhaps something truly unexplainable did happen to the family in their short month stay in the DeFeo murder house. Perhaps not. We'll likely never know for sure. 
But where do the Warrens fit in all this? They participated in a psychic slumber party. Some two months after the Lutzes abandoned their new home in the middle of the night, followed by a camera crew from local news affiliate, Lorraine sensed great mellow violence in the house and insisted it was infested with demonic entities. A photograph was allegedly captured of one gritty entity, though it is likely just one of the crew members in the house that night. This TV appearance catapulted the Warrens as experts in the field of paranormal research. Despite the fact that they presented no concrete evidence in the findings that the Amneville house was haunted or infested with demons, and that they furthermore had no real evidence at any prior cases that they had worked on. But for the fervor fervor of this true ghost story had already begun reaching a fever pitch with the release of the Amityville horror film in 1979 and cementing the Warrens' reputation for years to come. I feel like back then, when you are dealing with, like, the 1970s, that was a new era, uh, a new era of media, a new era of television, a new thing like that. It was where everything just started to blow up. That's kind of the end of the 70s was right before the millennials began, and I feel like it was just a really big explosion, uh, oversaturation of everything in the media. It was just such a dense time in history where just things really changed and were really liberated. So I feel like people were just ready to accept everything that they heard. But at the same time, there is going on people's feelings. Like for me, when someone said something and I I see a memory in my head, there's no evidence that that happened. I'm going on what I said. I'm saying the words. But I stopped recording here, so I don't know if I'm repeating myself, but... I say when you go into investigation, if you get one picture or one EVP or something like that, you're doing good if that's all the evidence that you got. So let's move on to the next case. So we're going to talk about Annabelle. I'm going to be completely honest. My back is to the door and I'm totally home alone. And reading these out like like out loud freak me out. No matter how much I see, I still freak myself out. So let's jump into it. One of the biggest issues with any case associated with the Warrens is that their scant information concerning the hauntings outside of what's provided by the Warrens, meaning that we are supposed to accept whatever facts are presented to us by the couples based on their word alone, as I just said. This is especially true with the Annabelle doll case, adapted into the movie Annabelle in 2014, a prequel to The Conjuring. Though the doll had nothing to do with the case upon which The Conjuring was based. According to Joseph Laycock, in his article, The Paranormal to Pop Culture Pipeline, a nursing student received a Raggedy Ann doll from her mother in 1970. When the doll exhibited strange behavior, a medium revealed that the doll was possessed by a dead woman named Annabelle Higgins. The student and her roommate took compassion for the spirit and granted Annabelle permission to reside in the doll. However, when frightening incidents continued to occur, they contacted the Warrens who declared that Annabelle Higgins was actually a demon. The demonologist took the doll back to their museum and put it on display for safety's sake, encased in a glass cabinet with a cross over its head. The doll comes with a warning, positively do not open. Before his death, Ed would apparently warn museum visitors that the last man to mock Annabelle ended up dying in a motorcycle crash, providing no names or evidence to this claim whatsoever. It's a great little ghost story. 
but the Annabelle legend origi- originates from the Warrens themselves themselves or as Laycock points out from a 1963 episode of the Twilight Zone in which a woman named Annabelle gives her daughter a doll that comes to life and terrorizes the family is that simulation theory is it not so the Perrin family case this case was the base for the hit 2013 film The Conjuring though the animal doll was related to a separate case while certain events depicted in the film were exaggerated for the purpose of spectacle Lorraine Warren and one of the daughters Andrea Perrin both insist that it was mostly accurate to real life events problem is outside sources insist otherwise and have a fair amount of evidence to back up their claims. Primarily, the current owner of the supposedly haunted possessed house, Norma Sutcliffe, researched the history of her home and discovered many factual errors presented as truth by the parent family. The Warrens had subsequent subsequent You know the word. Subsequently? I can't say it. The filmmaker is behind The Conjuring. She also sued Warner Bros. due to an influx of trespassers following the film's release. Sutcliffe and journalist Kent Spotswood produced a video detailing her research, which alleges, among other things, that the witch featured in the film... Bathsheba Sherman was anything but a satanic worship worshiper infant or full of infant sacrifices or any general witchery was pure fabrication. Sutcliffe and Spotwood's evidence is further detailed by Andy Smith in an article for the Providence Journal and is corroborated by Jamal Rubio on the investigative blog Dreaming Casually. Like the Lutzes, the Perrin family, alongside the Warrens, of course, always maintained that their claims and perhaps what they truly encountered was something unexplainable that terrified them it should be clear however that at least some of the backstory surrounding their haunting is made up (coughs) i've actually heard an interview with andrea perrin you can find it on real ghost stories online it's one of their earlier episodes he had her on and talked to her it was a really interesting thing to listen to you can almost hear her Ah, I'll leave it up to you guys. I don't want to tell you what to hear. All right, next. The Sneedecker family haunting. This case inspired the Hollywood film A Haunting in Connecticut, which Lorraine Warren reportedly detested for its historical inaccuracy, stating that it's embarrassing. Do you know the amount of time and effort we put into that case? Do you know how many meetings with the clergy we had to have to bring closure to this family? The Warrens are notoriously staunch Catholics, and most of their investigations center around families of the same faith, which for them is apparently the one true faith. If we were to interpret Ed's somewhat anti-Semitic remarks correctly, according to Lorraine, the real story of a haunting in Connecticut involved the Sneedecker family who purchased a home for a knockout price at a convenient location to the hospital where their son was recovering from treatment for cancer. Of course, it turns out that the home's perfection was too good to be true, and it was formerly a funeral home, when the morticians were rumored to have been caught in acts of necrophilia. This naturally meant that the place was haunted, and the family began experiencing unusual strange sounds and demonic entities, possessions, and whatnot. 
This overall scenario sounds familiar. It should. It is more or less the same narrative shaping the Amityville horror and the conjuring. Family moves into house, is terrorized by demons, and those are cash cows. The Sneedecker Haunting came with its own book, A Dark Place, The Story of a True Haunting, which is credited as written by Ed and Lorraine Warren. Carmen Reed, Al Sneedecker, and Ray Garten, the latter a horror novelist, was hired by the Warrens to help shape the Sneedecker's narrative. According to Benjamin Radford, writing for Live Science, Garten told Horrorbound Magazine that he interviewed all the family members about their experiences and then soon realized there was a problem. I found that the accounts of the individual Sneedexers didn't quite mesh. They couldn't keep their stories straight. I went to Ed Warren with this problem. Oh, they're crazy, he said. You've got some of the story. Just use what works and make up the rest. Just make it up and make it scary. Moreover, according to the investigator Joe Nickel in the June 2009 issue of Skeptical Inquirer, Neighbors of the Sneedecker family, as well as Garten, again, attributed to most of the paranormal happenings to the family's serious drug and alcohol abuse. All signs seem to point less towards a family legitimately terrorized by an evil spirit and more towards the Warrens trying to create another Amneville phenomenon. The Devil Made Me Do It Case According to a contemporary article from People Magazine by Lynn Barsnick in 1981, Anne Cheyenne Johnson was arrested and tried for murdering his landlord, Alan Bono. His defense argued that Johnson was not in control of his actions, not for reason of insanity, but by way of demonic possession. See, Johnson's fiance, Debbie Gladsell, had a little brother, David, 11 years old at the time, who, after being visited by a man with big black eyes that bore a striking resemblance to Satan, began showing signs that he was no longer himself. Gaining 60 pounds, growling, hissing, involuntarily spasming, speaking in strange voices, and reciting passages from the Bible or Milton's Paradise Lost. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Rather than seeking psychiatric help immediately, the Gladsells first brought in a priest to bless the house. When that didn't work, guess who they called? Enter the Warrens, who began making regular visits to the Gladsell house, bringing with them more priests and performing three lesser exorcisms. Ed Warren commented that he and Lorraine knew there were 43 demons in the boy. While the priests involved and denied any exorcisms had actually transpired in the Gladsell home, David began to show signs of improvement, especially after the boy was placed in a counseling and moved to a private school for disturbed children. But Johnson was not so lucky, as apparently a few of the demon exercised from David's body entered his, eliciting growls and hisses similar to his soon-to-be brother-in-law's as well as slipping into trances, off into off 
and on for a period of months before killing Bono with a five-inch pocket knife, stabbing the man over and over as Debbie Glatzel watched. The devil made me do it plea didn't work for Judge Robert Callan or the jury, and Johnson eventually went to prison for his crime. Years later, in 2007, Carl Glatz, David's older brother, attempted to sue Lorraine Warren and Gerald Brittle, author of The Requisite, A True Story, book, the book The Devil in Connecticut, for unspecified damages. As part of his suit, Glatzel, Glatzel claims his family was manipulated by the Warrens and that they had Brittle coerced a phone had him cohort a phony story about demons and attempt to get rich and famous at their expense. None more so than David, whose mental illness he feels was exploited for monetary gain. Of course, it should be noted that the Warrens and other Gladsells might not be the only ones looking for a little moolah off the experience. Carl reportedly wrote, wrote his own book, A Tell All, Alone Through the Valley with Francis Richards. The book doesn't seem to be available for purchase, but there's an expert an excerpt still available on old geosites. So that's really interesting. I haven't really heard that one before. I haven't gotten that deep. But when you think about it, kids are really impressionable. Definitely mental illness is a thing. So I don't want to give too many opinions on it because I really want you guys to form your own ideas. So the Enfield Poltergeist. Poltergeist. My words are like coming out super strangely today <clears throat> i haven't podcasted in a long time so my throat is not alive so enveiled okay that's like the same thing i want to find one that looks one that nobody knows about all right let's just read a little bit on psychic photographs okay Rather than being related to one particular case, the Warrens have investigated over three years. This entity relates to the demonologist's methods for photographing, photographing spirits. The new slightly spicier version of the Warrens' website does not feature this info, but over at their old archived page are archived, archived. This is embarrassing. Over at their old archived page, there's a section called Taking Psychic Photographs, which features such helpful hints as load your camera after you get to the site. Lorraine Warren believes that this gives recognition to the spirits and gives them the maximum opportunity to imprint on the film. Use an autofocus or fixed focus camera with the automatic flash. The more powerful the flash, the better. Assuming that you're successful in taking psychic photos, you must want to be able to rule out the clouds, the moon, and so forth. These last two instructions are quite specific. Why? Because these supposed psycho psychic photos usually just look like blobs of light, and that's because that's what they are. As Stephen Novella writes in his article, Haunting the the ghost hunters for skeptic blood the vast majority of the warren's physical evidence is photographs they have hundreds of ghost shots taken by them and those who work for them the bulk of these photos are simply blobs of light on a piece of film there are dozens of ways to get such light artifacts into film but most fit into one of three categories flashback light or camera cords rare double or multiple exposures create an interesting but some artifactual photographs 
Most telling of all is the category flashbacks. Flashbacks is simply light from the camera reflected back at the lens, causing a hazy, overexposed region on the film. Instances of so-called ghost orbs, furthermore, are typically nothing more than dust motes or particles exposed by the camera's light. This explains why the Warrens encourage bright flashes. The more powerful the flash, the better. And yet, the myth of these psychic photos persist with Ed and Lorraine Warren and are still fueling their validity. Then there's a bunch of videos and stuff like that. But I've talked about ghost photos a lot and orbs and stuff like that. Unless you get something where it's like, whoa, some orbs can really be dissected and you can find things and and they make sense. But so much of the time, you're just dealing with dust particles. But we're actually running out of time. We're coming to the end of this episode. So that was a really fun article for tonight. I'm excited to make another one for you guys. I just want to do a nice slow intro so I could figure out how to use all the words again. So thank you so much for tuning in, guys. Please don't forget to call in and tell us your ghost stories. We have a toll-free phone number for that. It's 1-877-260-3428. Don't forget to find me on Snapchat, which is Selena's Life, C-E-L-I-N-A-S-L-I-F-E, or email me your story, which is Selena at The Haunted Estate. I'm so glad that you guys came back, and I can't wait to make tons of episodes for you guys. You truly are the best people in the world. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.